we have been in our series, Den of Lions. And how many have made it for a couple of weeks of this series? Awesome. If you've missed any of it, it's online. And I want to encourage you to go online on iTunes or get the Victory app and you can listen to the sermons, get caught up with it. But we're going to do something. We do our confession every week. And it's a, just a declaration to say, Lord, speak to us today. Victory is made up of so many different people. And I want to invite some different people on this stage to do the confession with me. So if you are under the age of 12, I need one or two people that are under the age of 12 that are bold and brave to come and stand beside me. If there's a victory boy or girl, come on up here and stand on the stage. All right, if you are between the ages 12 and 20, if you're a teenager, I need like one or two teenagers to come and stand beside these boys and girls. If you're a teenager, I need like one or two teenagers that are 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, come up here. All right, I need one or two young adults. If you're between the ages 18 and 30, 18 and 30, you're all young. But if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, a college age student, come and stand up here, college age. All right, if you're between the ages 30 and 40, I'm looking for one or two people that are between the ages 30 years old and 40 years old. I want some 30 to 40 year old people in the room. Come on, that's my age group. A couple of y'all come up here. All right, if you're between the age 40 and 50, where's my 40-somethings at? The, the age between 40 and 50. If that's you, make some noise. I want one or two of you to come down here. Come on, you still got it in you. All right, if you're between the age 50 and 60, I'm looking for some 50, 50-somethings in the room between the ages 50 and 60. Where's my 50 to 60-year-olds at? One or two 50 to 60-year-olds. All right. Now, if you're over the age of 60, but under the age of 70, where's the 60 to 70 year olds at? Come on, make some noise, 60 to 70. Yeah, Dell, come on up here. All right, if you're between the ages 70 and 80, 70 and 80, I'm looking for one or two people to represent 70 to 80 years old. Come on, where's my wise men, wise women in the room? All right, if you're between the ages 80 and 90, 80 and 90, I want one or two representatives of the age group, 80 to 90, come on up here. All right, here we go. If you're between the ages 90 to 100, I want one or two people to come on up here between the ages of 90 and 100. Come on, Grand Grand, I might need you to come up here this morning. This is victory, y'all. This is victory. Where's Grand Grand at? Grand Grand, come stand right up here beside me. Oh, you don't need to stand back there. All right, she's gonna stand back there. I just wanna tell you, church, I'm so thankful that we are a multi-generational church. Not everybody's wearing jeans, not everybody's in a suit, but everybody's welcome here. And whether you're young or old, we have a place for you. Whether you're in your 30s, your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whether you're a, a kid, a teenager in your 20s, don't ever think, well, victory is only for this certain age group. No, no, victory is for all ages, all nations. And I love that we're all different ethnicities. We all have different backgrounds and that's who victory is. So grab the hand of the person next to you, lift it high up in the air. Ashley, you wanna stand right here beside me? Okay. And we're gonna say our victory confession together as a family on the count of three. Here we go, one, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open, my mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right for me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. If you believe it, say amen. Give somebody a hug, a high five. You could be seated. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. our series, Den of Lions, about the life and the stories found in the book of Daniel. 
And these last few weeks, we've learned about these four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how these guys lived differently than everybody else. Instead of letting the culture change them, they changed the culture. Instead of letting the conditions they were in set the convictions that they had, rather they let their convictions shape the conditions that they lived in. These guys stood out. They were different. Last week, we learned how they walked through the fire and how all of us will go through fires out here. But if we have a fire on the inside, there's no fire on the outside that can stop us. And that it takes the heart of a lion to stand up against the mouths of lions. Today, we're going to go to chapter four in the book of Daniel, verse four. Make some noise today. Come on, boomer sooners. (laughs) They got a chance. Come on. Well, Daniel chapter four, this is the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar in chapters one, two, and three, he was always in those chapters, but he wasn't the point. He wasn't the person. He wasn't the main character. And yet God was drawing his heart, drawing the king's heart towards the Lord. And we get to chapter four, and this is where Nebuchadnezzar, after this chapter, we don't really hear about him again. There's new kings that take over in chapter five, but Nebuchadnezzar has a moment with God, a transformational moment in his life that all of us have to go through, not just once, but multiple times. And watch what happens in in Daniel chapter four, verse four, I Nebuchadnezzar, so, so this is Nebuchadnezzar talking in the book of Daniel. I Nebuchadnezzar was living in my palace with comfort and prosperity. In other words, he had everything he needed to be happy. Right? If it was Thanksgiving week, he had every reason to give thanks. I mean, he was, he was blessed, he was prosperous, he was content, he was happy. He had no armies coming against him. He had a monarchy. Babylon was the empire. There was nothing else that could even compete with King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't have to fire. I mean, he didn't have to worry about getting fired. He was at the top of the world. He was, in his own mind, the master of the universe. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace with comfort and prosperity, but one night I had a dream. This dream frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I laid in my bed. Here's a man who has every reason to feel safe, every reason to feel comfortable, to feel like his life is going good, and yet he's terrified to the point that he's losing sleep. There's been biographies done on many rich and famous people, and a lot of these biographies talk about the deep trouble and and sense of disturbance in the hearts of those that have so much money and so much power and so much fame, and yet they lose sleep at night because they're wondering how fast it could be taken, when it might be taken, when they might lose their life. There's this plaguing of the soul. For Nebuchadnezzar, he was about to experience a transformation in this part of his life. He would go on to have this dream. In this dream, he saw a tree growing big and tall and had lots of branches and fruit and everything in the world lived under the tree. And then one day, a voice from heaven called out to to the tree and said, tree, you're getting ready to fall down. You will be cut down to the stump and the roots of your tree and you will lose all your fruit and your leaves will be scattered and you will be remaining on the ground under the dew of heaven. For no one is greater than the most high God. This voice of heaven was saying, Nebuchadnezzar, there's something about this tree that you need to know. There's something about this vision that that is about you. Nebuchadnezzar went to all of his wise men, his astrologers. He said, what does this dream mean? Nobody could tell him what it meant except Daniel. And we get to verse 19 and he, he calls Daniel in and he tells Daniel the dream. And he says, Daniel, what is this tree? And What does this dream mean? It says that this tree is going to fall and for seven seasons of time that this tree will remain down. But at some point, that stump, those roots will start to bud again and grow again. Daniel looked at Nebuchadnezzar and it says in the Bible that Daniel became white like a ghost. He He was overwhelmed by the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had told him. And Daniel looks at him and he said, I wish this dream was about your enemies. I wish this dream was about someone that you hated, somebody else. Someone further down in in history, but, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 22, he says, that tree is you, and you're about to fall. Everything you've built, this massive empire, Babylon was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was incredible. At the center, the epicenter of Babylon, it was like New York City in its time. 
Nebuchadnezzar had constructed skyscraping buildings. And, and, and the amazing thing about it is he had found a way to build gardens on the top of these skyscrapers that would hang deep down and touch the, the bottom of the buildings. And so everybody marveled at the amazing intelligence and design and architect that Nebuchadnezzar had come up with. And he was about to lose all of it. Daniel looked at him and he said in verse 24, this is what the dream means, your majesty. What the Most High has declared will happen to the Lord, my King. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven seven periods of time. And in Babylon, they didn't have four seasons like we do, summer, winter, fall, spring. They only have two seasons, summer and winter. And so seven seasons would be three and a half years. He said, for seven seasons, you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. And once this time has passed, only will you change when you have learned that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back once you have learned that heaven rules. In other words, there's a time coming, Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't learn it now, you're going to learn it soon. If you don't crush pride, pride is going to crush you. If you don't destroy pride, pride is going to destroy you. King Nebuchadnezzar, take my advice, verse 27, he said. Please listen to me. Stop sinning. What was Daniel saying? He was saying, stop thinking so highly of yourself. Stop living with so much pride because pride is really the root of most sin. The reason why you do what you know you shouldn't do is because you think you know better than God. You think you can escape the consequences that other people walk through. You think you're going to uh, uh, beat the odds of getting away with sin and doing what you know you shouldn't do. There's pride in your heart. Daniel says, turn from it. Stop having that pride. Break from your wicked past. There's mercy. God has mercy, but you've got to turn. And he says, remember the poor. Be merciful to the oppressed. In other words, use your money to help other people that are hurting. Don't think that it's all yours. The acid test of pride is what do you do with your money? Do you think you own it, you control it? Or is some of it God's? Daniel said, help the poor. Be merciful to those that are needy. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But in verse 28, all of these things happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Every part of the dream came to pass. 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar was taking a walk on his royal patio. He was looking at all of his buildings and he said this, look what I've built. Look what I've made. Isn't it amazing? This majestic city of Babylon, this royal residence that displays my splendor. And while the words were still on King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, this is a true story, by the way. This is not mythology. People think that this, this was a myth. Literally, theologians for a season of time thought this chapter four was a myth. Then they found scrolls from non-biblical writers during the Babylonian time that talked about a season where this actually happened, where the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, went through everything you're about to read. While the words were still on his lips, a voice called out from heaven. Listen to this. This, this should send chills down your spine. The voice from heaven says, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. This message is for you, you, you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, 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 cow. Seven periods you will learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. And that same hour, the judgment of God happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived in this beastly manner and his hair was as long as eagle's feathers. His nails grew out like bird claws. God has an amazing imagination. What is this story about? Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us right now. Show us what you're wanting to speak to us in this passage. I pray, God, this week we'd be reminded how blessed we are, how life is a gift, and everything good in our life came from you. It's all yours. God, I pray, Lord, that we would leave today with a greater sense of humility and thankfulness 
for everything you've done in and for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message today is Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. You know, I remember in 1991 when Beauty and the Beast, the movie, came out. Anybody see that movie, the cartoon? They're making a new one, a, 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 like an actual real one this next year. And I remember in 1991, it was the first movie I saw in theaters. And I loved the songs, I loved the story, but I didn't think it had anything to do with anything I had read in the Bible until I came across this story. And I realized, Disney stole from the Bible. <laughs> Cosmic plagiarism. These guys took the story of Nebuchadnezzar and instead of making God the beauty, they made Belle the beauty. But the point of the story is this. In, when you watch the movie Beauty and the Beast, it starts off with a very wealthy, handsome prince who's got a great palace. He's, he's royalty. He is, he's got everything he wants. He's prosperous. He's content. And a poor person comes and asks for his help, needs some help from him. And he refuses to help this poor old woman, and he turns the inside all of a sudden manifests on the outside. He turns into a beast. He starts to act like a beast, look like a beast, think like a beast. It wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar became an animal. It's just that he started to look like an animal, act like an animal, animal, think like an animal. He lost his mind. He lost his sanity. And this is what happens in the movie, and the beast needs someone to change him back into who he was always called to be. And he can't do it by himself. He needs someone who's innocent, someone who's pure, beautiful. Belle comes into the picture. And you know the movie, Tale as Old as Time, right? Belle comes in and she changes his heart. In the end of the movie, the beast comes back and he turns into the prince, the king he was always meant to be. When I look at this story in the Bible, this is really what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Pride led to his downfall. There's a book in business uh, sections of bookstores called How the Mighty Fall. How the Mighty Fall. And I can tell you this. No one is immune to falling. When you think you are, that's the first sign of pride in your life. When you think you are, uh, it's incapable for you to develop pride, to fall. When you think that this message is really good for somebody else in the room, my husband needs to hear this sermon. My wife needs to hear this sermon. My kids need to hear this sermon. My dad needs to hear this sermon. All of a sudden, you have now revealed to all of us and to God, there is pride in your heart. Because when you think you can't develop pride, when you think that it's incapable for yourself to develop beastliness on the inside, a sense of uh, I deserve all the good things in my life. I'm owed everything that's good in my life. I built this empire. I made myself successful. That's a good sign you got pride in your heart. I remember when I tried out for our worship team at Victory and I was uh, a junior in high school and I'd been practicing guitar and I came into tryouts and I get up there and I start singing my song and and the people on the panel that were judging us, they, you know, they gave us some notes. And they said, we'll let you know if you make the team later on tonight. So they post the paper. I didn't make the team. And the worst part about it was my sister was the judge. <laughs> so I call Ruthie. I'm like, what's going on here? Come on. You forgot to put my name on the paper. She's like, no, I didn't forget. You're just, you're not good enough yet. I was like, not good enough yet? What? And I was so upset. And so then I called my dad. I was like, you need to fire Ruthie right now. <laughs> my dad's the pastor. You know, Ruthie is in that role. I was like, she does not know what she's doing. And, and I'm supposed to be in there. And he said, oh, this is so good for you. You need to lose some pride. I was like, what? <laughs> so then I go to tryouts the second time. And this happened four times in a row over the course of a year. I tried out for the worship team. And finally, by the fourth time I had tried out, they had been talking to me about getting humble. And so by the fourth time I tried out, I, I get up there and I go, guys, I've really been working on my humility I feel like I'm one of the most humble guys I know. And I have been working on some songs, and these songs are humble. These are the most humble songs I've ever heard. Nobody writes humbler songs than my songs. And they're like, you're done. You're out. We don't even want to hear it. Like, I was so warped in my mind. Pride warps you. You're ridiculous when you're prideful. Everybody else can see pride on you but you. And here's the crazy thing. We can spot pride in other people, but it's so hard to spot pride in ourselves. You know, you could sniff it. You're like, man, Paul, that's, that's arrogance right there. But we don't see it in ourselves. We can point at it in our husband, point at it in your wife, point at it in your parents, in your kids, in your teacher, in another classmate, in one of the athletes on your sports team, one of the worship leaders, some other singer, some other person, some famous, you know, celebrity. Oh, they're so prideful. But this message is for you today. This isn't for everyone else in your life. This is for me and for you. 
to examine our hearts and say, God, have I developed pride? There's four things we can learn from this passage. And the first thing is God always sends warnings, the warnings of pride. God gave a dream, a vision to Nebuchadnezzar to wake him up and say, change while there's still time. Repent. The warnings of pride. God sent Daniel into his life, and God will send Daniels into your life to warn you. Pride comes before a fall. Maybe I'm a Daniel today that God's using to just say, hey, you need to change. You need to turn. There's pride in your heart. You don't see it. And it's going to be hard for you to see until you recognize there's some areas that are unsurrendered to God. Daniel was talking to Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, Nebuchadnezzar, there's still time. Isn't it crazy that it didn't happen for 12 months? I mean, look at that verse. In verse 28, all these things happened that Daniel said would happen. He warned them. 12 months later. Because while you're sleeping and thinking that you don't have to change and repent, Isaiah says there is a due time for the proud and the lofty to fall. God declared it. Don't think you can escape the consequences of pride. Don't you think that you can hide that sin and think, I can get away with this. God won't know. I can do what I want to do because I'm in control of my body. I'm in control of my future. I'm in control. God will send you the due consequences of pride if you refuse to repent. He'll give you time to repent. He'll warn you. Right? It's like those construction workers wearing the orange vest and they're warning you. Bridge is out. Don't keep driving. Nebuchadnezzar's nose was too high in the air to see Daniel in the orange vest waving. You're headed towards a fall. Stop while you still can. And boom, Nebuchadnezzar fell. Just like the tree in his dream. God knows how to humble the proud and exalt the humble. He knows how to do it. And that's good news for those in this room that have humbled yourself because promotion is coming. But for those in this room that think that you know it all and you're always right and everyone else is wrong and you refuse to apologize to your wife even though you know you should, today's your day. Today's your day to crush pride before pride crushes you. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Humble yourself, James chapter four, verse 10 says. Humble yourselves before God so that you will be lifted up. There's something about getting low that causes God to give attention to bring you higher. But when you try to get higher, it gets God's attention to bring you lower. You know, there's only one position available in the church. Only one position open, and it's servant. All of us are servants. Whether it's serving from the stage as a preacher, serving as a singer, serving as a sound man, serving as an usher, serving as a greeter, none of us are more superior than each other. None of us are higher than another person. Just because you make more money than me doesn't make you more superior than me. Just because you might be older than I am doesn't mean you're superior than other people. At the cross, everybody stands on the same level ground. We are all in need of a savior. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, no matter how many scriptures you've memorized, how many years you went to Sunday school, spiritual pride is just as bad as carnal pride. And I see this in the church sometimes, this religiosity, this pride of, I know more than you. You don't belong up there. I should have that seat. They stole my seat in church. <laughs> Give them your seat. There's tons of other seats. But soon, someday, there won't be other seats because we're going to pack this place out. But it's okay if we don't because I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I have to tell myself every day because pride always wants more. It's never content with what, what it has. That's why Thanksgiving is hard for prideful people because they're like, I don't know what I have to be thankful for. I mean, I'm just kind of, it's been a hard year. Life's been tough. I don't deserve how bad life's been to me. Pride manifests itself in several different ways. And this is the second thing we see in this passage, the heart of pride. Pride carries an oldness. You owe me something. God, you owe me this. I deserve this. The heart of pride is constantly consumed with what I deserve. I deserve more. I deserve better. My wife should treat me better. My kids should respect me more. I should be more respected. I should be thanked at my work. I should be more appreciated. They don't appreciate me enough. I'm going to go work somewhere where they appreciate me more. Me, me, me. I, I, I. My, my, my. Want to talk about me. Want to talk about my. Want to talk about me, myself. Oh, my. 
<laughs> How many of y'all remember that country song? Y'all like, that was my jam. Repent. <laughs> There's something about pride, though, that just is consumed, so self-absorbed that it's hard to be thankful for anyone or anything. Nothing's a gift. And that's why when you get gifts, it's like you're not surprised. You don't react with the sense of, oh, thank you so much. You're like, cool. <laughs> it's pride. And everybody sees it but you. Because the gift is not good enough in your eyes. It should have been more. It should have been better. They should have done something more for you. They should have appreciated you more. They didn't say enough nice things about you. They didn't notice you when you walked in the room. They didn't shake your hand. Pastor forgot your name. Go find another church where he knows your name. Pride constantly gives these people entitlements to just keep on ruining their life and living with this miserable condition. You can have all the money in the world. Nebuchadnezzar had all the money that he could acquire and he was losing sleep. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are miserable on the inside because they haven't surrendered to God. They want something bigger than this world. They're trying to make themselves bigger than they really are. And when you try to become bigger than you are, you end up becoming less than you were created to be. You become less than human. Like Nebuchadnezzar, you act like a beast. Pride just makes you look so beastly on the inside. And, and soon enough, it comes out on the outside. You know, I remember going to ORU and the only job available was working as a janitor. And so I was working there and I was picking up nachos for people and I was frustrated because I felt like I was entitled to a better job. And so I would just be, you know, just talking under my breath as I'm picking up nachos and people are looking at me like, who's the insane guy over there? <laughs> cleaning up nachos. Who's the Nebuchadnezzar hiding in the bleachers up there? And I'm back there, and I'm just like, I deserve better than this, and I, I, I should have a better job than this, and I should be making more than $5 an hour, and you know, all this stuff. And, <laughs> and I remember during that time, God gave me a song. I was reading the book of John, and I came again, uh, across John 3.30, and the scripture was, I must decrease, he must increase. He must become more, and I must become less. This was John's words when all of his followers started leaving him and going to follow Jesus. And someone came up to John and they said, aren't you jealous? You're losing. Aren't you jealous? You're now second. You're no longer first. Everybody was coming to you to get baptized. Now they're leaving your ministry and they're going to Jesus. And John says, no, no, this is good. I must become less and he must become more. I must decrease and he must increase. It's not about me. It's not about me. And this song came out as I was reading that scripture and picking up nachos. I started singing this song, I must decrease, he must increase. Lord, I want more of you. And I wrote this song and put it on a CD and I was excited. I submitted it to ORU worship team and they said, we're making an album. We're gonna put your song on the album. It's gonna be one of our top songs. And I was so excited. And they said, but you're not going to sing it. Your friend Brad's going to sing it because he's got a better voice than you. I went from being so excited to being so mad because I knew Brad. We lived on the same dorm floor. And I was like, he's not better than me. He doesn't sing better than me. Pride is constantly jealous and comparing itself to everybody else. By, by the way, if you have comparison problems, you have pride problems. Like, I'm sorry I had to tell you that. Don't leave the church now. You're like, why did he have to tell me that on Thanksgiving week? When we are constantly comparing ourselves with other people. We're not thankful with who God created us to be. We don't recognize the gifts that God's given us. And we're not able to celebrate the gifts that God's given other people. And I was mad at Brad. And they said, well, Paul, you can stand the night that we record this live recording of your song. You can stand in the back of the choir bleachers and we'll let you sing it. And I was like, okay. So I go back there. I remember, far right corner, maybe center, packed auditorium. Brad's in the center front. He's singing my song. And the song is, I must decrease, he must increase. But while he's singing it, I'm like, he must decrease, I must increase. Lord, I want more of me. <laughs> because pride turns you into a beast. And you're crazy. And you know it. <laughs> Because you're so self-absorbed. And you're like, why does this feel good, but it's so mean? <laughs> because God, isn't the amazing thing, when Nebuchadnezzar goes through this crazy 
prideful surgery where God literally rips pride out of his heart. At the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar thanks God for walking through this season of humiliation. He actually thanks God for going through the pain. Suffering will either harden your heart or humble your heart. For Nebuchadnezzar, it humbled him. Man, it made him broken. He goes, oh my Lord, thank you. I needed to go through this. I needed to become this beast so I could see what was really on the inside of me. This cancer that was eating away the enjoyment of my life where I thought it was all about me. But I realized it's all about you. I had to go through this to see it. The heart of pride is constantly at war with the heart of humility. Number three, the result of pride. The result of pride. Pride makes you less than who you were created to be. The more you carry on this attitude of, I don't need to apologize. I know what's best for me. I'm in control of my life. Pride says you're in control instead of God's in control. But who gave you that life? Who gave you those legs? Who gave you those eyes? Who gave you those ears? Who gave you the brain to have intellect? Who gave you the, the opportunities? Who placed you in the family that you were born into? The year that you were born, you didn't decide the year you were born. You didn't decide the siblings you were gonna have. God gave you those siblings. God gave you those parents. God gave you that skin color. God gave you that unique personality that you have. You are blessed because God put you on this earth for such a time as this. You don't own yourself. You are God's creation. Dorothy Sawyer said this. She said, sin is a deep interior dislocation of the soul. It's a desire to keep control of life. And the only way to justify the control of the life you have is you have to blind yourself to how dependent you are on God. What was she saying? I mean, it's so deep. But she's saying, you don't realize that you need God, even though you won't admit it. And you act like you're in control. And parents who think you're in control of your kids. God created those kids. He loves those kids more than you love them. He loves my boys more than I love them. And it's humbling to think about that. To realize I can't control what career path they're going to choose. Who they're going to marry. God cares about them. And if I am trying to control my kids and control my wife. And she's trying to control me. It's pride. Pride doesn't know how to let go of the remote control of this life. And it turns you into this beast. You're constantly trying to change your husband and change your sons and change your daughters and change your wife and change your boss and change God and change the word. You can't. I was talking with one of our ushers who's uh, in her 60s and she was talking about last night we were with ushers and greeters from our church and she said, I, I remember being so stressed about my kids growing up, stressed about my house, stressed about our bank account, stressed about our cars, stressed about my husband. And she said, I realized at the core of all that stress and worry was pride. I thought I was in control. As the mom of the house, as the wife of David, I thought I was in control to change David's heart. I was the beauty that was gonna heal the beast and I didn't realize that I had the beast in me too. That pride. And she said, I was stressed, stressed about when my kids were moving out. She said, when my kids started to move out of the house, I wanted to control them. I wanted them to come home every day. I wanted them to be here. I didn't want them to get married. I didn't want them to go to school, that college. Some of y'all are like, I can't wait till they get out of here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but listen, for her, this was, she didn't realize it was pride. Pride manifests itself in so many different ways. Control is one of the ways that pride is manifested. When I try to control the church, it's not my church, it's God's church. When I try to control my wife, it's not my wife, it's God's gift to me. She is a gift to me. This church is a gift to me. Your family is a gift to you. Humility sees that everything and everyone that's good in your life is a gift. You didn't earn it, you didn't achieve it, you didn't deserve it, you weren't owed that good thing. God gave it to you because you're the object of his mercy. You're the object of his grace. What do I want you to walk away with from today? Wake up tomorrow and see every good thing as a gift. Wake up tomorrow and be thankful for what you have. Lord, I'm thankful for my sons. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the friends you've brought in my life. I don't deserve them. But God, your mercy and your grace is, has taken the place, has taken the punishment of my sins.
Why didn't Nebuchadnezzar repent earlier? Why did it take seven seasons, three and a half years for him to finally change? We don't know. All we know is during that time, he became like a beast, like an animal. And so we get to the fourth point. The fourth point is this, the healing from pride. There is a healing that only God can bring. How do you get healed of pride? How do you get set free from this beastly nature that the enemy tries to continue to build in your heart? Well, look what Nebuchadnezzar did. In verse 34, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. Everybody say, look up. That's where your answer is at. When you think you control this life, it's cosmic plagiarism. You are telling God, the author, the source, the one who wrote and published your life, I control it. I own it. It'd be like me taking Cole Taylor's song, Fully Devoted, and telling you guys, it's my song. I wrote it. You guys would be like, wait a minute. We saw Cole's name on it. I don't care. I'm putting my name on it. You're like, what? That's plagiarism. That's what you do with God, though. When you say it's my money, it's my money, it's my family, my kids, my stuff, my life, they offended me, they owe me an apology, cosmic plagiarism. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve hell, but the grace of Jesus Christ has intervened and the healing from God gives us freedom. And I don't think there's a better illustration outside of the Bible than the story of Narnia where C.S. Lewis talks to us about what this healing looks like. He tells us about a little boy named Eustace who lived in Narnia. And Eustace had a proud heart. He became greedy. He wanted more and more. And he fell asleep on the horde of a dragon. And Eustace wakes up. And C.S. Lewis is this, you know, imaginative author, all the, the chronicles of Narnia that he's written. And he says, when Eustace woke up from the dragon, he had become a dragon. He was clothed in dragon skin and he was breathing fire and he hated himself. He hated how he looked and he began to scratch himself. I don't want to be like this. I don't want this. I, I'm not this. And he began to try to change himself and morph himself back into the boy that he knew he was supposed to be, but he couldn't do it. And so he had to come to the Christ-like figure, Aslan, the lion. Just like the beast needed someone from the outside to change him. True love, Aslan looks at Eustace and sees the dragon, but he sees past the dragon. He sees Eustace. And when Jesus looks at you, he sees past the pride. He sees past the sin. He sees past the pornography. He sees past the adultery. He sees past the greed. He sees past the cheating, the lying, the stealing, the ugliness of all of our hearts, the pharisaical religiosity, self-righteous mentality that we carry. And he says, I see you. And I want to heal you. And Eustace says, I need you to undress me. <laughs> I need you. I can't do it. I need you, God. I need you, Aslan. Aslan takes his paw and he rips Eustace. And you think he's going to kill him because he just claws Eustace and he peels the dragon skin off of him until he's down to who he really is. There's Eustace and he's crying. And he says, I thought you were going to kill me. I thought your claws would go right to my heart. What was C.S. Lewis saying? He was saying there's something that only God can do through the stripping away of pride that you think it's going to destroy you like Nebuchadnezzar, but he lets you be restored instead. He restores you. His kindness leads us to repentance. And sometimes we think his kindness is letting us get away with everything. But sometimes his kindness is leading us through something that's difficult and troubling. And it's in that moment that we come to him and say, God, thank you. You didn't cause this storm, but you sure know how to pull the pride out of my heart in the middle of this storm. You didn't bring this sickness, but you sure know how to bring me to my knees in humility to lean on you in the midst of this pain. And Nebuchadnezzar gets up from this and God speaks through Nebuchadnezzar. He said, I praised and I worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop God or say to God, what do you mean by doing these things? And then my sanity returned to me. And so did my honor and my glory and my kingdom. My advisors and nobles, they finally sought me out again. I was restored as head of the kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the true king, the king of heaven. 
All his acts are just and true, and he's able to humble the proud. Give God praise this morning. Aren't you glad for a happy ending? The beast is turned back into who God had always called him to be. And as we end today, here's what I want us to do. Nobody moving. This is the most important part of the service. Two important parts. We're going to give to God, but we're also going to surrender to God our hearts. You know, giving is a real test against pride. Pride says it's my money. I earned it. God doesn't get a penny from it. And you make a life by, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. You might have gotten some of the stuff, but that's not what makes your life happy. Those people that were fed this week at the Dream Center at, at the Harvest Feast yesterday, they were so thankful. And I wanna say something to you right now as we get ready to give. Let's say someone in this room needed $300. You say, Paul, I've fallen on hard times. Could the church spot me 300 this month? Could you guys just help me out? I, I need to pay some bills. I, I just need $300. And what if someone had just given me personally thousands of dollars to just give away? And I said, I'm not just gonna give you $300, Jeff. I'm not just gonna give you $300, Beth, Sally, whatever your name is, Stacy. I'm gonna give you $10,000. You go, oh my goodness. I'll pay every penny back, I promise. I'll, I'll pay this loan back. And I said, loan? It's not a loan, it's a gift. It's yours. Now all I ask is with this $10,000 gift that I give to you, and you only need 300, but I'm gonna say keep $9,000. Give 10%, what is that, $1,000. Give 10% of the gift I gave you to help the poor, to remember the oppressed, to help a family who has kids with special needs, looking for a church that's gonna offer a service for their children to help the families in our city have Christmas presents this year, to help the local church bring gospel to nations around the world. Just give 10% of the gift you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, but I gave it to you. You get to keep the other $9,000. You wouldn't look at me and go, 10%, that's unreasonable. No, you would look at me and go, 10%, that's it? Unbelievable grace, unbelievable grace. You gave me more than what I asked for, and you ask for less in return. God is not asking for much from us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. He's just saying, I've given you everything that's good in your life. Don't forget who your source is. Don't become like Nebuchadnezzar. Don't let pride lead you to a fall in your money. Honor God this week. Be thankful. We're going to pass the envelopes down the row. And as we do, I want everybody, even if you feel like you got nothing to give, think about something later this week you might be able to give. We have a lot of needs in our church. This week, we're gonna be feeding more hungry bellies. We're gonna be doing Thanksgiving feasts for single parents and their children and so many more people in our city that are hurting and poor. We're gonna be giving Christmas gifts away. Every seed you sow goes back into helping people that are hurting. Today, would you give from the overflow of what God's given you? Would you give just a percentage of what God's blessed you with? You didn't make it all yourself. Sure, he gave you those hands, he gave you that brain. He gave you those legs. He put you on this earth. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't be here. Maybe today, just say, Lord, I'm thankful. And on that envelope, there's a line for prayer request and praise report. And my challenge for our church this weekend, I told the other services last night and this morning at both the 8.30 and the 9, I said, I want you to write down on that line, instead of what you want, write down what you're thankful for what God's already given you. Today, just overflow with gratitude. God knows what you need, and you could tell him again tomorrow, and you could pray to him, but today, what if you just remembered how much God's given to you and you just thanked him? Lord, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of family. Thank you for the gift of victory. Thank you for the gift of kids, the gift of parents, the gift of friends, college, whatever it is, the job that you have. Just thank God for it. And as you're doing that, I wanna pray over all the seeds that are being given. If you're given online, we're so thankful. If you're given through text message, there's, there's ways to do that on the screen that explain it all. Lord, I pray right now as we give that it would go and grow and it would help people that need your love, need your hope. God, thank you for changing our hearts, taking pride and taking selfishness and removing it far from us, helping us to see how blessed we are by you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you continue filling out your envelopes, I'm gonna sing a song for you. And it's a song from the movie, Beauty and the Beast. Now, let me just say this. When I was at ORU, a guy came to our chapel, Marty Gatz, a Messianic Jew. 
He grew up with Alan Minken, who won eight Oscars for all the Disney songs that you and I know that are so popular. A Whole New World, Tale as Old as Time, Under the Sea, Alan Minken wrote all those. And Alan and Marty were friends, two Jewish friends. Marty got saved, gave his life to Jesus. Alan is gonna get saved one day. But Marty came to our chapel and he said, I remember sitting with Alan when he wrote Tale as Old as Time. And he said, Alan, this is the story of me and Jesus. I was the beast. My pride had made me so ugly to my wife and my kids and so mean to people around me, my family. But Jesus was the beauty. He came and he changed me from the inside out. And when he said that story, he sat down at the piano and he played the song. And today I wanna play for you that song and sing it to you today, what God's done. As old as time, true as it can be, I was lost in sin, but Jesus, you came in unexpectedly. My whole life has changed. Set me free, no need to be scared, for you my heart's prepared, beauty and the peace, ever just the same, forever by my side, ever before, faithful just as sure as the sun will rise, till as old as time, tune as old as song, wonderful and strange, finding I could change, learning I was wrong. As old as time, tune as old as song. Sorry, I forgot some of those lyrics. Let me do that part one more time. Here we go. Certain as the sun, rising in the east. As old as time, song as old as rhyme, beauty in the beast, tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, Lord, you rescued me. How many of you guys have been rescued by the grace of God? I want us just to stand to our feet this morning. I contemplated singing that song for y'all today. I was afraid, maybe not afraid, just nervous you might take it the wrong way, but you know, without Jesus, I, I was a beast. And when I'm not surrendered to Jesus, I could be a beast. Anybody else relate to that? It takes, you know, it takes real honesty. And I think that comes from humility, just vulnerability, saying, all right, I don't know it all. Learning, I was wrong. I don't know, when's the last time you said sorry to someone that you've hurt? Maybe you came in today and you've, you've been offended and you're carrying that grudge of unforgiveness. Maybe you were the offender and you refused to apologize. Maybe you're here today and there's just pride in your heart stress, worry about life, worry about finances. Maybe you're headed towards Thanksgiving and, and you kind of feel like there's not much to be thankful for. Today, just come back to that place. There's a song that was written in the, in the late 80s, early 80s called Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. This song was by Henry Lewis. And Henry 
had lost his eyesight, degenerative eye disease. He went blind, legally blind. And when he was sitting in church, the pastor was preaching a message against pride and learning to give thanks. Because at the heart of thanksgiving, at the heart of thankfulness is humility. And what is the enemy of that thankfulness is pride, thinking that you deserve every good thing you have instead of seeing it as a gift. And he sat down and he wrote that song, Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for what He's given. Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's areas today, attitudes, actions, thoughts, words, that you just need to repent, surrender to God, just raise your hand all across this room. Maybe you didn't even realize it was pride, but today you're saying, I need, I need to just bring that to the altar. Lord, heal me, cleanse me of that. Yeah, hands going up all over this room from the front to the back, young and old. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I just need prayer. I don't want to let pride kick in. I don't want worry and stress to kick in, but holidays are tough on me and my family and I need prayer. I need prayer that I'm gonna stay patient, peaceful, loving, kind, humble, that I'm gonna be thankful. And maybe you, you just are saying, I'm not prideful, but I need prayer that I don't get there through the holidays because it's a test for me. And if that's you, just raise your hand. I wanna pray for you because some of you are headed into a den of lions this Thanksgiving. You need, you need that courage, that peace to just walk in love. Lastly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I am the beast. I, I'm not surrendered to God. I've backslidden. Maybe I've never given my life to Jesus. And today, I want Jesus to change me. I want to become his son, his daughter, the one I was always meant to be. I need him to heal my heart. Salvation. I want to know that I'm going to heaven one day. If that's you, don't miss this moment. Maybe you're watching on TV late at night. You've been losing sleep. Today's your day to do this. Make it right now. If that's you, just raise your hand. You're saying, yeah, I'm ready to surrender. I want Jesus to change me. I want his healing, his salvation. I want to surrender to him. Awesome. If you raised your hand for any of those, I want you to just leave your seat right now. Meet me down at this altar. We're going to cheer on every brave parent, student, college student, grandparent, whatever age you are. Just leave your seat right now. You're saying, yeah, Lord, help me. God, I need your grace. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I need your strength. There's something about humility that just gets God's attention. He's looking for a humble man, a humble husband, a humble wife, a humble mom, a humble dad, a humble teenager, a humble college student. Maybe you're a CEO of a company. Maybe you've made a lot of money like Nebuchadnezzar. There's a lot of things that you could take credit for, but today you're saying, you know what? I just need to go down to that altar to give God thanks. I need to just give God the glory. I don't wanna take anything for myself. Lord, I pray for a healing right now. A healing of hearts, a healing of minds. For someone in this room who has turned beastly in their nature and their reactions towards others where rage has taken over anger frustration strife stress impatience shame condemnation lord that today you'd begin ripping off that stuff that junk and you'd begin to strip us of pride and bring us to that place that says i must decrease he must increase lord help us to give thanks to you today Lord, that we would overflow with gratitude for how good you are and how good you've been. God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. Lord, I pray that today we'd be reminded how blessed we are to have life, to be here, the people that are around us. In Jesus' name.